I'm Will Emmons. I am the Chief Revenue Officer here at Renaissance, and you're listening to the Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, the show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with an edge. Hear that? Edge. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, we have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Today, we're going to chat with SaaS industry vet Will Emmons, CRO of Renaissance. Which, did I say that right? Renaissance? That is correct. Renaissance. It's an AI-driven performance management platform delivering actionable data around diversity and inclusion. But before we get to Will, this episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle of your noodle. It's a brain map before the season starts. So you have a baseline to compare it to. Hey, you get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup before the season starts. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. Hey, a lot of football camps are already going on. It takes only 20 minutes to get the data you need to ensure the quality of the athlete's future life. Carney. Pete, I think the uh, guys at Bishop uh, Sackamore should get a brain map. They must have had something wrong with them on this football game that's getting a lot of press. But, yes, go ahead, Pete, your joke of the day. Carney. Yes, Pete. Come on, please hurry. What's the best thing about Switzerland? Hmm. I don't know, but the flag is a plus. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Shout outs, my friends. I feel like we just did that joke. When? I don't know, but I feel like we just did that one. I, like I don't it. think so. I don't now, think Pete, so. Pete's, Pete's old. He probably forgot that he did it yeah. like four it's episodes like a, ago. You know, I got thirty of them. Okay, that's nice. Attack the host, <laughs> Ian Minton. Thank you for your service, my friend, and congrats on your new gig at Oracle. I got one, Brian Mule. Congrats, two years at Upwork. Oh, really? I see that on the notes here. Now, KG, who is? Oh, you did? Okay. Mm-hmm. KG, you got any shout outs, my friend? I do. I, I, uh, I want to uh, give a big shout out to Mary Ball. Uh, her and her um, co-founder, Lucy Hillier, recently founded the Women in Business uh, Book Club. And she's already got, I don't know, hundreds of people that are, uh, that are a part of this uh, already. We used to work together at uh, ZipRecruiter. She's absolutely amazing. Pete, we're going to have her on the show late September. So we'll, uh, we'll get to Ooh. see Mary and Lucy together and talk about women in business and book clubs, book club. Maybe we'll talk about the leadership app. Maybe Lucy, Lucy. like the Fabio book clubs, right? Wasn't that yours? Those romance novels. Novels. That's <laughs> that's more up PJ's. Uh, that's more. Pete's hey man, you got the haircut style. for that. But don't worry, the glasses fix that. Mm-hmm. Anything with a lot Mary, of pictures for Pete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mary Ball, Mary and Lucy, Lucille Ball. I'm going to screw that one up. Jason Lee Farrar, you got anything? Uh, I got. I don't have any shout outs, but but I forgot to talk about this last week, which is Charlie Watts died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I realize this isn't a music podcast. However, if you want to think about go to market and someone who's been successfully raising ticket prices for decades and still command that sort of audience, it is the corporate entity of the Rolling Stones. I mean, they've figured out how to package that, make it good, but make it something that someone will pay for. So there's still value there. I think a good lesson is there's still value after all these years and you can get it 
if you just keep asking for it. Well, that's what happens when you're a, a drummer and you, you know, your heart skips the beat. I like so, the well, nice impromptu drummer joke. It's better than the Switzerland one. Yeah. Oh, well, edit that out too. Redeemed yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, he never redeems himself on the healer. Will Edmonds, old school, man. How are you, my friend? Where are you? What have you been up to? How the hell do we know each other? As you say, I am old and I'm forgetful. What's your background, my friend? My background, I am, uh, gosh, almost 16 years in the same company as you. That's where we probably may remember me from. I don't, I don't know if our paths cross that often or not, but uh, you may remember me from there. Um, I did a number of things from running an enterprise office to running enterprise to running APAC, Europe, the Middle East, the world, all the above. Uh, and then, you know, left there and spent a couple of years in Silicon Valley at a, at a fairly large enterprise SaaS firm. And then now I'm uh, doing a more of a startup pre-revenue gig that we started a year and a half ago. That's no longer pre-revenue. Thank goodness. Weren't you also one of the guys that did marketing too? I did. Yeah, I spent a whole marketing. year in marketing. It was the longest year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So possibly we have two marketing guys on the show. That's awesome. So Renaissance, what's 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 the story? What is that? A AI what? We are at our core a performance management platform. So just to kind of give you the, the quick elevator pitch on what we do, we basically took what is essentially a 100-year-old, extremely painful process of gathering and administering performance management. We surrounded it with technology in the form of AI integration and kind of an always-on performance assessment. And essentially, we make it something that's both meaningful for the employees and the employers. So um, our customers love it. The employees that use it love it. Look, at the end of the day, if you think about performance management, I mean, you've been through it, Pete. You do the yearly fire drill. And for lack of any better term, everybody thinks it sucks. Um, it's highly subjective. The inputs are oftentimes reliant on, you know, did you go have beers with your boss in the last two months or not? Does your boss like you as a human or not? Not necessarily what you've done from a professional standpoint. So what we've done is we've developed a product that wraps AI along with integrations that we have with companies like Slack, Salesforce, Microsoft, Google, a variety of different other ones. Um, and we pull real-time insights out, and then we actually push those insights into the performance management platform itself so that when you go in at the end of the year or twice a year or however often you do those things, um, you're not trying to remember 12 months ago, all that information is already in the platform for you so that you can easily pull that and see that. And you know, you'll never get to 100% sub objectivity Sorry, in performance. Um, but we feel like we've accomplished about 75% objectivity in what's primarily a 100% subjective type of review process today. KG, how do you know our friend here? I, I feel like our paths were destined to, uh, uh, to clash because there were so many people at ZipRecruiter that, uh, that we hired in the enterprise division that felt so highly about Will Emmons and other people that I kept networking with, uh, people like John Fagan, people like uh, Brian Carrillo, um, just absolutely, um, absolutely think the world of Will Emmons and feel like this guy has shaped their careers into what they are, you know, today. 
And uh, I had to meet the guy. <laughs> I just had to meet the guy. And somehow we sought each other out and, uh, and uh, his brand, uh, you know, lives up to, up to uh, his, his reputation. I mean, look, he, he, he just glossed right over it. That was Renaissance pre-revenue and now they're revenue. That, that, that's no, that's no accident. And that's what Will Emmons, that's well, what Will Emmons does. He, he sniffs out the money. I'm just thrilled to have him on the show. And remember our listeners are more like first time managers and things like that. And I would love to hear about how you got into sales leaderships. And most importantly, what are some of those pro tips that you would give to sales leaders on how to go about doing the same and get to the C levels that you have gotten to multiple times in your uh, in your in your career. It's going to be a long answer, but I'll I'll try to get it as short as I can. You know, first of all, how I got into sales. So when I was in college, uh, my college roommate and I started a home security home theater company, and we literally would go to school during the day. He had an old beat up truck. We bought a magnetic sign. We stuck the sign on the side of the truck and. After school, we'd go drive around, put nice clothes on, go drive around, and we'd sell builders. We didn't want them to know that we were just a two-man shop. So at night, after all the builders left, we went in with floodlights and we would wire all the homes at night. And that's literally how I paid for school. So my grades were not very good in undergrad. Uh, grad school, much better. But uh, undergrad, not so good. I spent a lot of time doing that. And so that's, that's how I paid my way through school. But I kept doing that after school. And the one thing that I learned that I loved was selling. You know, I actually ended up signing some really large deals with some of the largest builders, not only in in Central Texas, but also just literally, hang on, I'm sitting here by an actual phone for some weird reason. Cash register, pick it up. In doing so, we we started to expand. We started to actually add salespeople. And so that's where I got my first experience in in sales, sales leadership. Did that for a while. Then I kind of got this vision that I was going to be in corporate America, you know, go sell big corporations. And so, so anyway, I got my, my first start was with Robert Half. I got with Robert Half, started selling in their lowest level division, which was office team. I quickly got promoted into their account temps division and I got promoted again into their IT uh, division. And I went on to be the number one builder in the world for Robert Half technology at the time. And they promoted me and asked me to go to Colorado and start up new sales offices. So I did that. Um, I opened up four offices in Colorado for them, Boulder, Denver, Denver Tech Center, and then Colorado Springs. Eventually moved into what they called business development director. And that job was really interesting because they would send me into primarily underproducing locations. And I would have to do an assessment and come back to the executive team and say, hey, here's, here's what they're doing well, here's what they're not doing well, and here's my recommendations. Now, they might throw the recommendations out the window, but it was a great job because it taught me how to go in and and quickly assess situations and quickly assess people. Ended up leaving that. I actually went to one other company uh, before I made it to CareerBuilder. And there I was selling that large national accounts. We were, uh, we sold vendor management systems. And so I had IBM and Exo Communications and a few others. I called Jason Lovelace one day who someone referred me to. We had a conversation. He told me to fly to Chicago. I flew to Chicago. He hires me. He says, hey, when you get to Dallas, um, there'll be a computer at your desk and I'm going to email you. Just open your computer, log in, and there'll be 10 accounts in the email. I said, great. The next time I talked to Jason, which was like, 30 days later, I think I called him and I said, Hey man, I'm working on this deal and I need some help. And he said, what's the deal? And I said, well, it's this company radio shack and the largest deal in the company and all of Kerbilder at the time was a hundred grand. I said, I don't really know what to do with it. 
you know, this is as far as I've gone. And he goes, well, what's it worth? And I said, I don't know, but I think I'm going to close it for like 400, 450,000. And he was like, what? Like, what's going on? Tell me more about this. <laughs> and so we crawled back and I started walking through it. Anyway, long story short, about three months later, we closed it. I closed it. I don't give him credit. There was a woman running sales at Cribbuilder at the time who will remain nameless. And she approached me and said, hey, you know, we want you to run the Dallas office. And I said, I'm not interested. And she came back again. And I said, not interested. The third time, not interested. Fourth time. Why weren't you interested? Why weren't you interested? That, that's, I've done that myself in my career. Why yeah. weren't you interested in that? You were going to go from selling to leadership at, at the time, a fast growing company. And you were saying no. Why? Because the average deal size in Crew Builder at the time was $8,000. The reason why Crew Builder was on the trajectory that they were on is because they were a disruptor in an industry that was, you know, print, right? I mean, at some point, everybody had to move to print. And the, the, the backstory behind the Radio Shack deal is when I got that account, everybody said, hey, don't even bother selling them. We have all their internet spend. And I'm like looking at this thing that's 25,000 bucks. And, and I went out, I met with the lady. Her name was Tanya Carp Green. I go, Tanya, I got to tell you, as kind of is my style being somewhat direct. Everybody told me not to come meet with you. And they said that the reason is that we have all your spend. And she said, well, that's true, you do. And I said, but there's only like five locations using us and you guys have 45 or 4,500 stores nationwide. Yeah, you're everywhere. And she goes, that's true. And I said, so if I get the other, you know, 4,495 4, stores on board, then we can get that spend moved from print to online. And she said, yes. And I said, I got it. And I got up literally and walked out like that's the meeting took me 15, 20 minutes. And I went out and I anytime I would go to a radio shack, I would go in and ask to speak with the manager. If I was trying to like blueprint locations not there, I would literally call in and act like I was an angry customer and tell them I needed to talk to the manager. And then I'd get the manager <laughs> and then I'd ask to talk to their manager. And I did that and I did it over and over and over again. And it like in an extremely short time frame. I built this thing out. I launched trials nationwide and it was just like so easy and I knew I could make so much money. That's why I didn't want to do it. <laughs> mm. And so I was just like, I, I didn't need to, you know, and, and I'd kind of, I'd been in leadership before and it was okay, but I really liked selling. And so anyway, so that's why yeah. so I got in, I got into it. And, you know, one of the things that I quickly learned, so I guess that's one of the, the first answer to your question is how do you get into leadership? I think you have to be successful, right? Um, I think that the most important thing that you can do is, especially as a, as a frontline leader, is you have to have some sort of model that's replicable that you can, you know, you, you can teach people. Whatever that, it doesn't have to be the same for everybody. Everybody can be different. But essentially, when they promote you into leadership, I believe fundamentally that they want you to go create a bunch of mini-me's, so to speak and teach people how to do what you do the best. That's number one. Number two, and this is where people kind of fail. I think a lot of people get that. I think where people fail is they don't, what, they, what they don't do is they don't put the structure and the process and the accountability and the measurements and the transparency in place to be able to allow people to you know, execute on that plan and be successful ultimately. And so I think that's what I did really well as I, you know, I put my people in a bubble. Like I said, back then, the average deal size was 8,000 US a year. And they didn't recognize people on anything other than deals sold. 
And I told my team, I'm like, look, we're never going to get recognized on a call, but if we go sell $8,000 deals, we'll all starve to death, you know? So we're going to go do this. So that year, that office, we sold, I don't remember if it was five or six, I think it was five um, additional deals that were all between 250 and 450. Nobody even came close to that as an organization. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and believe me, I had people in my office in tears at times that were like, I never get recognized. I'm like, Hey, you know, good job. Pat on the back. Here's your paycheck, you know? <laughs> and so just taught them a, a different way to look at it, but putting my people in that bubble and, and, and protecting them from a lot of those neg like not so positive outside influence, I think was really critical. And then just the way that we attacked the business. I mean, my gosh, our renewal rate in that office was 20% when I got it. Clearly, it was just a lack of focus. So we put a tremendous amount of focus into that renewals uh, component of the business. And literally within four months, we went from 20% to 98% on contracts and like 130% on revenue. Wow. And that office was the worst producing office in the country when I got it. And it was like the number one office when I finished it. And by the way, all of my people got promoted. Half of them got promoted into other leadership jobs and went and ran other offices. The others got promoted from, you know, AEs to majors or majors to nationals or whatnot. It was a really fun time. And then, you know, from there, it just kept going. You know, I, I just continued to move up and do other things. I think it was Bob Montgomery, actually, that, that kind of gave this. But every single problem is one of a few things. It's either lack of ability. And if it's lack of ability, you got to get rid of them. Lack of skill which you can teach or lack of belief. 90% of the time it was skill or belief. And so when I would look at problems, I would try to address, you know, where, where are the specific things that I need? If it's a teaching opportunity, what are the developmental things that I can do to, to put people through? And the way that I think about development is I think slightly different than a lot of people. A lot of people will get up and do the talking head in the front of the room. And I always believed in doing exercises that force people to learn the, the, mm -hmm. the skill, right? So, you know, um, Will, they, in, uh, in Sandler, I, I think uh, you may be a fan of Sandler. They talk about improving your batting average, B-A-T, yeah. behaviors, attitudes, techniques. Yep. It's exactly what you were just saying, what Bob Montgomery would say. It's, it's, the, it's a, similar, uh, a similar, of similar ilk. If you can't improve in those areas, uh, you know, you, you got to make some changes. Yep. You know, your, your career has probably not all been unicorns and rainbows. If you were to wind the clock back and do some things differently, what would you, uh, what would you do differently? Again, we're talking about our, our listeners being sales, sales leaders, first-time sales leaders, wannabe sales leaders. If you were to wind the clock back and do things differently, what would you do? The only thing that I would do different, my approach to people. You know, if I reflect back on my early years, you know, you, you can be influenced by a boss in a positive way or a negative way. You can take on their traits, whether they be positive or negative. I think I was kind of led down a wrong path in the way that, that is the right way to communicate by a former leader at one point in time. I would wrap it up like this, which is the difference between being blunt and being candid. Blunt is hurts and it's it's rude and it's, you know, it's not meant to help people. And, you know, true candor is designed to be professional from a, a really positive, I don't want to use the word love because then, you know, people make fun of me, but I do think it's from a, a point of, of really compassion, right? Like I, I really want this person to do, to do well and to be better. And so I'm going to, I'm going to find the right way to communicate so that they can 
hear it, receive it, and actually take it and take action with it. And I didn't always do that early on in my career. You know, because of that, I, you know, I probably had some cycles with some people that, you know, I wasted that I could never get back. But you grow up and you mature and whatnot. But I think that would be the, the biggest thing that I would look back and say, I wish I'd done that a little different. Yeah, I always, I think that's a good point, Will. Because I, I think with a lot of candor gets abused, you got to figure, especially inside your company, you're all on the same team. So how would you talk to a teammate? Right. We're all trying to win a touchdown. The tight end dropped a touchdown pass. Are you going to go, you're an idiot and you can't catch anything? Or are you going to try to cheer them on and say, hey, next time squeeze the ball or something like that? You know what I mean? And catch yeah. the ball. That is a huge issue within a lot of companies is instead of just being critical, try to help someone out. We're all we're going to fail together and we're going to succeed together. And yeah. we're all on the same team. And, and in the off season, you could figure out, do I need that teammate or not? Yeah. In the heat of battle. There's no reason for you to, to go after somebody and just try to get through that. Yeah. And I think as a leader of leaders, you have to be really careful. You got to remember that a leader that's reporting into you, it might be their first time in leadership. Uh-huh. And so if you're moving fast and you're like, hey, you need to go tell those guys, da, 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 right? Like you don't really want them to say that, but in their mind, yeah. because they're new, they're like, oh crap, I got to go say that. Mm-hmm. And then they walk in the room and they're like, all right, you know, you have to be cognizant of it as a new leader that, Hey, when you hear those things, everybody's moving really quick. And so we don't really want you to say what we say. And as a veteran leader, you have to remember that, Hey man, a lot of times they're taking your words, literally being cognizant of that on both sides is really important. Yeah. You, you know what you mean. They don't know what you mean. Right. And so, (laughs) so you have to be really clear. Hey, Will, you said two things that I want to bring back up to the top, just as even as just takeaway lessons. I'm not kidding. I had this conversation with somebody last week about, do you have all the spend in a company? And I think if, if we're talking to new sales leaders, that's like an incredibly important question. Even you, your story is great. Like you were told yes by the, basically by the decision maker, right? And so if, if you stop pushing and you listen to that person and you, you'll never get all that spend. R- super important. And then the other is um, the blueprinting of an account. Other than when we all work together at the same company, I don't know where people learn that. Because to me, it is like fundamental now. And, and I look at teams, I mean, in co- all the companies I've been at since, since CareerBuilder, I look at teams, I'm like, well, show me, show me your blueprint. Yeah. You know, show me the account blueprint and we can talk about what's, what's possible. And um, I, it's just sort of like a blank stare. You know, I'm like, well, how do you know what to do in the morning when you like turn your computer on or pick up your phone? What are you doing if you don't, yeah. if you don't have that? Now, those two things are so important, tactical, but so important, you know? So anyway, I just want to- uh, Well, no, and I think, I think the blueprinting is really key, right? Um, if when you, so the way I used to teach this at Career Builder, and I still teach it to this day, is I would walk into a training room of all the new hires. We would say, okay, like you've been through the training this week, you, you, you know the products. If you, could, if you could put a price tag on Career Builder, if you sold Career Builder to Career Builder, what would Career Builder be worth? And inevitably, it was always about 200 grand that they would start with. And then, you know, so the exercise that I would use is I would say, okay, great, like we know this company inside and out, so let's break down our own company. And let's talk about all the different people that are in leadership that actually have budget. So like Pete Jansen's, what's Pete Jansen's, how much could Pete spend a month without ever receiving a phone call? Now, I don't know what Pete's number was, but it's probably a lot. Here's what my number Not is, really. what John's number is. Here's what or everybody's, and we would, we would walk through that. And by the time we were done, 
in our own company, what we learned is that HR's budget was probably the smallest. All of the other individual line leaders out in the field had way more money. And so the number would always be north of seven figures, yeah. always by the time we got done. And so I think helping people understand how to go through that exercise and think through their own company first, kind of nail it and then start to figure out, okay, wow, I really have to know my customers really, really well if I want to get to that kind of end number that you're talking about. And when, you know, you said, you said it's, it's kind of tactical, I would actually argue, argue that it's extremely strategic <laughs> because what most salespeople do is, is you'll say, hey, what are you doing to break into the account? Well, I'm calling and I'm doing emails mm-hmm. and I'm doing mm-hmm. this and I'm doing mm-hmm. that, right? That's tactical. That's yeah. tactical, yeah. right? Yeah. If I know what I'm going after and, and I've got it here, now I can say, okay, here's the strategies or I call them proofs or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. I've got to do in order to get all those different pieces of the pie. I've got to prove to Pete that I can do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I've got to show Kevin I can do these things. I've got to show Jason I can do this. And now I can build the tactical things I need to actually execute on those strategies. Yeah, great. What, what, one thing to note there on what you said, though, I think to enhance a little bit is a lot of small to medium-sized companies have different divisions. There's a cost center and a profit center. Profit center is going to get a lot more freedom in spending, whereas a cost center is going to be restricted on the budget. So when they say, you got all my spend, that means that's a cost center. But if you can somehow make it seem like you're contributing to the profit of the company, spend gets opened up rather quickly by the finance people. Well, that's a great segue into, I think, Kevin's second part of this question, mm-hmm. which is executives. So the other way that you do that is you get to people that actually have the power to make money, make budget. That's one of the things that I, I think we mastered at Career Builder more than anywhere else. You know, before that, I used to tell people like, hey, I don't, if, if all you can do is go get existing spend, like you're not, you're not the right team member for me. I need people that can go create dollars, you know, in that. And how do you, you know, getting to executives, you know, we put quotas on getting to executives around, you know, lunches and dinners and golf and, you know, whatever. I didn't, we didn't really care what, what the thing was, but we had specific quotas on it, you know, from a leadership standpoint. You know, I told my guys at one point in time, like, hey, if I don't do it, you won't do it. And if you don't do it, your people won't do it. I think that's a really critical thing that you need to lead by example when you're in a sales leadership capacity and show your people that it is capable or that they are capable of doing those things. So, I mean, I think that's another huge area as well. We've had, anytime you spend decades in the same place together, unique things come up. Our unique thing was, we came at a tail end of print classified advertising that turned into the internet. The internet turned into SaaS, and here we are at the SaaS holes. Yep. And we were leading, we were selling through, through it all. What do you guys think is the biggest difference during the transformation? Because you had to take your existing way of doing things, whether it's small transactional deals and turn it to long-term bigger deals. What were some of the things that you learned from teaching somebody to sell classified print ads to selling long-term SaaS deals? I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, when you would look at a large company, I think it was the easy sale was, hey, you know, you hire 500 people, here's 500 job postings the needle really moved in accounts is when you stopped selling, you know, boilerplate solutions and you started to look at all of the problems that they were facing around hiring, recruiting, you know, whatever that particular problem was that you were trying to solve for. 
And then you got very specific on the solution offerings that you were trying to drive, right? And, and one of the ones I always tell the story, you know, I walked into UPS one day. Am I allowed to talk about company names? I guess. I don't know. We'll find out if we get sued. I'll, I'll tell you um, when I get to cease and desist. So, uh, <laughs> so I walk into UPS and, and I sit down and, and the, it's this head of HR guy. And he looks over across the desk and he goes, man, he goes, you know, I'm happy to meet with you. And they tell me, you know, their executive is going to be in town. That's why I took the call. But like, I just, I don't want to talk about job postings. And I said, well, great. Me neither. I think job postings suck. So I don't want to talk about them either. And I said, um, what I do want to talk about is what's not working for you. And he's like, well, you know, like I got problems all over the place. And every time I tell you guys I have a problem, you just tell me to post more jobs. So I post more jobs and I still end up with the same thing. And I said, great. Give me the example. He says, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I got this location there. Every time, like, it's like every time the phone rings, I see it's that manager and I don't even want to pick up the phone because he's just going to yell at me. And so I said, you know, well, let's do this. And we, we put together like this whole plan and it included like videos and banners and like mega posts into that market. And it was a whole campaign just directed at just filling that specific location. Literally the guy filled the entire facility that he had been struggling with for six months. He did it in like 45 days, 150 people, I think something like that. And I didn't charge him for it. We just reallocated his spend. And then that started more conversations, which, which you know, led to other opportunities and other locations that were other challenges. And so I think that's the biggest thing that moves the needle is when you listen to your customers and you really try to help find those unique challenges that they don't have answers for. And you show them that, hey, there is there is a better, different, you know, more innovative way to do those things. Amen. Yeah. Uh, let me let me jump in real quick yeah. and then sorry, Jason. You know, the old Sandler adage is no pain, no sale. And salespeople fail to go any further than most salespeople will. I mean, of course, anybody who's worked for you knows to go deeper. That there's a business problem. You know, uh, you know, the surface problem, the business problem and the personal problem. And most people fail to even get past the surface problem. The surface problem is, my God, I've, I, I haven't had this facility in Harrisburg, Phil, uh, Pennsylvania filled, you know, forever. Well, great. Well, tell me more what that's that's, you know, causing you. Well, for God's sakes, I can't process packages, which is costing me revenue. And well, what does that mean for you personally? Well, I'm on a PL and I get a bonus at the end of the quarter or the end of the year or whatever, based on, you know, the efficiency in that facility or whatever. Most people fail to get down to that level, Will, to understand what the true pain is, to then get to that larger sale that solves the problem. And I tell my clients all the time, and Will, you're going to appreciate this, of course, and everybody else on the call, you know, you, you can solve a million dollar problem with, for the low, low price of a half a million dollars a year. And, <laughs> and that's, what, that's what real value is. That's what real value is when the solution solved is way bigger than the price that they that they pay. And you're an absolute master of that when you combine your blueprinting in conjunction with, you know, really heavy discovery like that. It's uh, it's off the charts. No, that was good. The first word out of my mouth was going to be amen as well. But for for a different reason, which is the example you gave, Will, and then you use the word campaign. And I love the fact that you use the word campaign because what you were able to do for that company is like this multifaceted solution, which is what a campaign is, right? We got the same message and we're going to tell it in a bunch of different ways. So people will see it rather than just say, you get one thing and it's going to work. We'll just keep doing more of that one thing until it works, you know? And, and I think this is larger than your campaign for, for UPS and has larger implication impl, implications. But I love the idea that 
A campaign is a multi-touch thing. We're trying to solve one problem, going to see it in many different ways. And that is huge benefit to somebody who just probably was, was stymied a little frozen thinking, all I got is this, I, I only got job postings. Like what else can I do? Yeah. You know, bringing fresh perspective is huge. The one thing I caveat for younger salespeople and leaders in that is make sure you can answer the problems that are there. Like if somebody came to you, Will, and said, I have all these problems. The TVs don't work in my office. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> That's it. I, I feel like there was a lot of conversations when you're so desperate for revenue and the company might be not going the way you are is you want to answer that TV question. You want to answer whatever you can to, to grow the revenue. And I get it but try to focus on where the company can answer the questions. I think where, where salespeople also make the mistake, and I've seen them, look, like, for instance, selling job postings at Career Builder, they would walk into the office and they would say, hey, I want to know about all your problems as it relates to recruitment. And all of a sudden they get shoved into the recruitment hole. And mm-hmm. now it's like, oh, well, you know, I actually don't even handle that. That's so-and-so. She's in our HR department. You need to talk to her. You're right. When you hear something that's just way out there, we can't address. Great. But yeah. don't but don't avoid those things. We still want to know about them because we might be able to, maybe we, maybe we can help them find a good TV repairman. You never know. Or yes. Or woman. Yes. They're like, their infrastructure, <laughs> their infrastructure team sucks. And that's because they don't know how to hire people for the infrastructure team or they got a safety problem. Right. Jamie, you, you made me think of a question, which is, Will, do you have an example of a time where you're like, yeah, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to ask him what his problems are and he's going to tell me. And then you're like, oh shit, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think of the answer to that. I don't know what the, how to exactly address that. You know, I'm sure you have some example like that in your career. Like, how did you deal with that? You're not, I mean, honestly, I always had an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it wasn't a good one. Have an answer. Even if it wasn't a good one, I had an answer. Um, and I could always... You know, I felt like I could almost always spin it into something. But just the other day I was talking to somebody, they were like, they were kind of going through and, and I was, you know, talking about how great, you know, performance reviews are and how important it is to be proactive with them, whatever. And, you know, this lady, she was a CEO and she goes, look, I just don't believe in them. You know, we do them once a year because my employees want to do them. And I think they're stupid. If that's how you feel, like, that's how you feel. I don't have an answer for you. Like, I'm not going to change your mind. And you're the buyer here. So I hope that works for you. But, you know, if, if you find yourself in a situation like a lot of companies, we, what we were hoping was post-COVID, not exactly post-COVID yet, but where there's kind of a lot of, a lot of people leaving jobs and moving on, and you find yourself in a situation where all of a sudden maybe your mindset shifts to how do I keep my people and you want to figure out ways to engage with them, call me back. But until that happens and until you see it, I can't help you. Well, one thing about me good and bad, right? We, our strengths are always our weaknesses. I'm always honest. That's as honest of an answer as I could give that person. Yeah, sure. Well, when you're transforming from one, one medium to another, expectations are key because you can customize an ad, but customizing software, that's two different ball games, right? You, yeah. you, you're promising the software can do this, this, and this. You go to the developers and they're like, what? WTF are you talking about? Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, that just a little heads up out there for you newer companies out there. Yeah. Stay away from customization. Configuration is amazing. Customization is trouble. Hey, you, that book, what's that book about? The leadership app. Well, when did you do it? I didn't even know you had it. What, what's the story? I started that. I always wanted to do it. I started writing that, I don't know, three years ago, something like that. But something I always wanted to do, you know, and it was some of it, in there is just my ramblings on, you know, my, 
my thoughts on leadership and a lot of it is advice, honestly, to new leaders, especially. And I think there's honestly, I think there's some really good advice in there. There's probably some stuff in there that people may, may take a nap through. I don't know, but at the end of the day, I really do think there's some great points. Um, and I touch a lot of different things about leadership. One of my core pillars is around process, accountability, metrics, those kind of pieces. And I think that's an area that's highly undervalued by people in general. And I think when I look at people that are successful, like yourself, like Kevin, who have been phenomenal sales leaders, and we get in a room, we start talking, we all have that one thing in common. And I don't think that's by accident. So, um, so I spent a lot of time on that. I talk a lot about, you know, people and different hiring profiles. There's, there's a bunch of information in there, but, but yeah, pick it up, take a look. If you're interested, would love to hear feedback. You know, it's kind of weird. I don't know if you've written a book or not, but it is weird putting yourself out there. You know, it's a little bit um, like you've taken all your clothes off and you're standing in front of people. So, you know, it can be <laughs> a little bit uncomfortable, but um, the feedback I've received so far has been really positive. Not at all like a podcast. Yeah. yeah. This is a piece of cake. Uh, <laughs> is there a chapter on communication? Yeah, I, that one I failed. Hey, preaching to the choir here, buddy. Yeah. But nobody knew, ever had to question where we stand. That's right. Jamie? No, I think no one had questions on where you stood for sure, Pete. Nobody asked you. Rar, you got any uh, marketing questions? Uh I, where, know, where did you come into marketing and where, where was Will at the time? Yeah, so that's interesting because I was thinking about I was thinking about this. When I came in, Will, I think you had just taken the job in Dallas, maybe, or were going back there for something or just to live, maybe. I, I think I was know. moving back to Dallas. Yeah, you were moving yeah. back to Dallas. I'd had, so, I'd had enough of the cold winters in Chicago. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what, now being here for eight years, I've had enough of the cold winters in Chicago too. Like I'm not sure I could go back to that as a daily occurrence. Um, but that really is not my question. My question is when you, you took the gig in marketing, like why did you do that? What, you know, what do you, what did you think it was going to do for you and what did it do for you? I did it because Bob Montgomery asked me to do it. That's yeah. the most honest answer I can give you. Well, uh, you know what we need? We need like a gong call that records how many times Bob's name comes up on the podcast. It's yeah. like the chart would be huge. Anyway, go ahead. So here's what was going on. And Pete, Pete's very well aware of this, this situation. We were trying to implement Microsoft CRM. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you see Pete Grimace over there. Like exciting. <laughs> we had, we literally, like we literally broke it every day and we had all of these inside sales reps on this platform. And I mean, when it would go down, it went down hard. Yeah. And essentially what we wanted to do is we wanted it set up to where we would just do nothing but pump leads into that system and they would hang the phone up and then it would just ring and they'd pick it back up again and they would go. And, and the reason Bob wanted me to do it, he, he thought it'd be good for me to learn, um, you know, the, the that particular component of it, um, just from a sales perspective. But he also wanted someone from a sales background to drive it because yep. he felt like they would be able to better connect with the field and whatnot. So I spent all of my time either in meetings with the top engineers from Microsoft. And I mean, literally like their top engineers, they would send down and they couldn't figure it out. So that was amazing because I'm such a strong technology guy. Um, and then when I wasn't doing that, I was meeting with every lead list company on the planet, trying to buy more leads and figure out how to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And that's what I did for a year. And, you know, it, I will tell, I'll tell you that honestly, it was not my favorite job. Like I, I enjoyed that job probably the least of anything I've ever done because I enjoy customer facing interactions. I enjoy being out in the field. I enjoyed all of that stuff. And I went from doing that to sitting in, in an office in Chicago. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't love it, but I learned a lot about marketing. And I think one of the biggest things that I took away from that, and, and it took me a while to kind of understand it later on was, you know, when working with marketing on true demand gen uh, plans for your sales org, I think it's really imperative to understand you know, how they think about going about filling that funnel for you. And they don't have 100% responsibility for the funnel, but they've usually got a percentage of responsibility. And so under them being very clear and communicating back to you on, hey, I know that every rep's quota is X. I know that the closing ratio is 20%. So I've got to do a 5X on, you know, my quota for that. In order to do that, I've got to generate this much and total lead gen from these types of resources, which means I have to do this, which means I have to do this, right? And being able to back in an actual formula and communicate that and execute on that is really critical. And I will tell you that there's not a lot of marketing people that I've come across that know how to do that. Present company excluded, of course. <laughs> and so like as a sales leader, one of the biggest things that I think is, is critical is not allowing necessarily marketing to self-report and only reporting on the things that are relevant to driving that that funnel. And so what, what you see in a lot of marketing departments that I've been involved with, frankly, and again, present company excluded, is they'll talk about, oh, we did 5 million views and we did this and we did that, but that's where it stops. Yeah. And they don't get down to all the other things that actually lead into conversion into revenue. Yeah. And if marketing is not talking about revenue conversion, then marketing is not doing their job. That was what was good about it for me as I learned a lot of that. And then, you know, when I went into the international markets, I, I had responsibility for marketing again. And so I, you know, I worked a lot with those, those teams over there on conversion to revenue. And so those were some of the big takeaways from it. Not my favorite thing that I ever did. I, to this day, I still gravitate towards sales regardless of, you know, what I'm doing. But why did you have to bring up Microsoft CRM? Well, the good news, Pete, is we went back to what was it called that we were on? Pivotal. Oh God. We back to Pivotal. Oh boy. But we oh. tried we tried for like two years to implement oh, that in Microsoft. And I, I think that was your idea, wasn't it, Pete? It, it was. I championed <laughs> you would think Microsoft would have it down. You would think. Oh God. The, uh, I went to work for a really large SaaS company and in the valley and they went from Salesforce to Dynamics and they just went back to Salesforce. So we're not the only people. No. Salesforce was awesome when it was five free licenses to start it with. Should have stayed with them. I mean, you just well, said Pivotal. I got a little eye twitch. And I, I mean, I didn't even use that thing half as much as tick. you did. Now I'm, now I'm starting to have PTSD. <laughs> the only people like Pivotal were the contractors that customized it. Yep. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> well, Will Ammons, thank you so much for coming on the show. What's thank the you. URL for your uh, company's website and your book? Just renaissance.com. R-E-N-A-I-Z-A-N-T. The link will be in the podcast notes below. Yep. And you can find the book on Amazon. Leadership APP. Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jason, Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. And we please ask you to... Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our newsletter, 
in the podcast notes below, and you can always buy us a beer on Patreon. Please subscribe. Get on private consults we do once a month. Oh, my God, they're packed. We thank you for listening. Cue the music. How'd you get him? Will says that uh, he can't get into Zoom. I'm not sure how to troubleshoot this. Um, uh, let's see. Let me send him the link. Hold on. Participant invite. Copy invite link. I'll be right back. I get, we got some of my glasses. I mean, that's... What up, Jason hey, Lee? Hi. How you doing? you know making friends every day yeah that's what you that's what you do i'm a connector you are a connector i connect to people's asses with my foot (laughs) delightful (laughs) can you hear me now speaking of delightful will will i am he's coming He's uh, a comer. Not on there yet. Nope. There he is. He, he's a son of a bitch is what he is. <laughs> we'll edit that out in post. You're talking about me already? <laughs> what do you mean already? Goodness. I know. We've been, we've been waiting here and he's been talking about you the whole time. You just got the last part of it. He's not surprised. I told, I told you about the first time I met Pete, so... Yeah, turn the video. Oh, on. was that bad? Hey, well, Jamie, how's it going? Oh, and hang on, start video. Yeah. What was the first? What was your story? Your first time meeting Pete? I didn't hear the story. Oh, so, great. But you know, Pete—he's—he's he's so little that um, he needed to be someplace cool. So he—he he set up his desk in the server room at Career Builder, <laughs> and so I walked in. And uh, Lovelace introduces me. He's the second guy I met in the company besides Lovelace. And I go to shake his hand, and he goes, you know, Jason, goes, hey, it's Will Emmons. And he goes, I'm sorry, what's your name again? And he goes, it won't even matter. You won't be here in here anyway. So he patted me on the back and pushed me out of his office. <laughs> his his office, which was the server room. Meanwhile, the server room. somebody's in there trying to make sure the phones still work and the computers are operational. Oh, my God. That was... Uh... On Cumberland, that holy that crap! Oh yeah, that was hot. 
Those servers, man. They can, they can fry yourself. Uh, well, it's a good thing you're in sales and you know how to run Zoom. We, we appreciate that. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, like, first of all, the link you sent me didn't work. So Kevin sent me another one on my phone, which I clicked on. And now I'm going to have to go type it in to Zoom so I can get it because it's not working with my video. You want me to email it to you, uh, Will? That would be, that would help me tremendously. Well, <laughs> you you have your video. You'd have to turn something on there because I, I just I asked go you to start it. I'm going to hold on, Will. Boom. So we know you could join there. So there we go. His video's on. It's on, on his end. Come on, Texas. Yeah. It's on what? There's something on your end. You're covering up your video. It's all black. I'm not covering it up. It's just not there. Some, you know, some laptops have those little switches, Will. But we were fine the other day. Yeah, I know. I don't know what the problem is. I, I know. You know, are you still in Texas? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe. Jason Lee, you're in uh, Texas, right? Yeah. But... I, I mean, I don't think it's a state, it's a state's rights issue, whether you see the video or not. All right, I'm going to turn this off and I'll see you in a second. All right. Oh, here, here we got, we got big W. Yeah. W like Texas. That's right. Big. Everything's bigger. Everything's bigger. Bam. There we go. Get rid of the other one. There he is. Nah, whatever. Just leave it. Who cares? <laughs> The other one is nice. It'll get a little provide echo. Well, yes. This does well. The other one, nice. Ah, will, will I am? Will you're looking good, man. You're looking good. Trying to keep up with you, Pete. Oh no, man. You you got spelt. I got unspelt. <laughs> unspelt. Write that down. It's probably unspelt. all the shit. There's a lot of calories and shit. What? What are we doing? Why would you know that? Exactly. I think you'll edit that out in post. (laughs) (laughs) Who says that? You eat a lot of shit. All right, let's get the show on the road. (laughs) Yeah, please. The show is pretty much on the road, right? That's that's pretty typical. Kind of derailed. No return. (sighs) So, Will, you're like an author what the hell is that i mean we'll wow. get to it but i'm like i just see these notes here i'm like damn yeah. ever since we got kate the leadership app there you know you could have used that right. a long time ago pete mr Te- mr technology yeah i could use that like right now no nah, no nah, i couldn't it would slow me down uh will how about that intro man you think you can do it because you wrote a book you know you could probably know how to do an intro I can do an intro. I won't do the intro you gave me, but I'll do an intro. What a, what a great guy. Go ahead, Will. Whatever you got. <laughs> Whatever I got. So uh, I'm Will Emmons. I am the Chief Revenue Officer here at Renaissance. And we are, at our core, a performance management platform. So just to kind of give you the, the quick elevator pitch on what we do, we basically took what is essentially a 100-year-old, extremely painful process of gathering and administering performance management. 
we surrounded it with technology in the form of AI integration and kind of an always-on performance assessment. And essentially, we make it something that's both meaningful for the employees and the employers. So um, our customers love it. The employees that use it love it. And uh, if you guys want to check it out, let me know. And you're listening to the Sassholes. That is correct. So could you please say that? Oh, and you're listening to the Sassholes. Thanks for making my (laughs) editing life. Wonderful. (laughs) KG, you want to do it? This is Kevin Gaither, and you're listening to the Sassholes. It's not what I meant, but... (laughs) You went... (laughs) Two intros! This is a great show because of the two intros so far. Jamie Lee! I can't say hi as well I meant, you know, but I can say welcome to the Sassholes. Yeah. We should all do one as will. All right. Welcome to the sales. You want me to do it again, Pete, and throw in the sales? No, Will, no, Will you, you're good. You're good. Okay. You're good. It's my first you're, you're one. The, you know? you're, you're, the, you're the guest, man. You're the guest. Everybody else has been around a while. Welcome to... But I actually went and... Um, is that, a, uh, is that an old school uh, <laughs> phone answering machine? <laughs> you gotta, you gotta hit the button. <laughs> Literally. So, so this is a true, we'll, true deal. We'll edit that out in post. <laughs> this is. I gotta start over. Like this is no no joke. I sold my house. We were remodeling a new house, and I don't know if you know anything about where the remodels are right now. But I'm literally in my dad's office at his house right now. It's the only place I could find to do this call. And apparently, he has an answering machine yeah, and a whole yeah. phone. That's hysterical. I don't even know they made these anymore. That's all. That's all Seinfeld. I love it. Yeah. All right. So, so how do we do this? Do I just pick back up or what? Yeah, you just pick back up. He'll oh, we're using all of all of it, but pick, pick right yeah. up, my friend. That's fine. Will, thank you, man. Well, thank you. Good job. Oh, I'm telling. That, that, that'll get us at least two more listeners. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Oh yeah. Put a new voice. Should we do a new voicemail in your dad's answering machine while we're all on the line? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't even know he had this in here. I was, like, I was in Best Buy the other day buying a TV, and I walked by, and they have a row of these things. And I'm yeah. like, who buys those? And now I know my dad does. Yeah. Oh, you—you are definitely a sasshole. Smile you later. Bye, bye. See you later, you guys. Thanks.